The purpose of diversification is to make sure that you're not going to be concentrated in any one stock exposure and taking on that unnecessary risk. Diversification is going to reduce the impact of any one's company performance on your wealth at the end of the day. Welcome to the All Things Retirement Podcast with certified financial planner, Anthony Alpha. Here's your host, Ben George. I'm glad to have you on All Things Retirement. I am Ben George, joined as always by Anthony Alpha. He is a certified financial planner. He's also the founder of Cardinal Wealth Group. And today he's going to help us talk about some common sense approaches to money. Things that I think we all are aware of, things that we all know we should be following, but for whatever reason, our behavior doesn't always line up. So what is actually common sense turns out to be a bit uncommon with the way we handle it. So that's the goal for today's podcast. A couple of mailbag questions coming later on as well. So stick around to the very end of the podcast here, everything we talk about today. Welcome in, Anthony. How's it going? Uh, it's going great, Ben. Uh, thanks for having me. The uh, topic today sounds very similar just to things that we do in everyday life as well. That seems like common sense that we don't quite always uh, follow as well. <laughs> so uh, looking forward to answering those questions. But summer's going well. Seems like things are pretty more or less back to normal, although I, I do uh, feel like I get some sideways eye, eyeballs when I do occasionally have a, a cough <laughs> of clearing of my throat uh, yeah. in a public place. But uh, The new normal. Uh, the new norm <laughs> for now. Yeah. But all all is going well. Good. I wanted to get, quickly give a plug to your new website. It looks really good. I know you have some more updates that are coming at the time of this recording, but if anybody visits at cardinalwg.com, you'll see a, a new look, refreshed, uh, kind of a rebrand to the whole page. It looks really good. Thank you. I appreciate it. So we'll have all the all the podcasts up there as well, plus a lot of other resources on the website. Again, cardinalwg.com. If you want to call Anthony directly and talk about anything we discuss in the podcast ever, you can do so at 609 362 5512. So today's topic, learning through uncommon sense. Again, we've got three statements today we're going to run through. Each of these seem like really pretty straightforward common sense approaches to our money. And I think everyone would agree with these. But when we look at the way we actually behave with our money, we don't always follow these very well. So we're going to try to get a, a little bit of clarity on why that is and what Anthony sees with his clients working in this business every day. So the first one deals with investing. I think everyone's goal Anthony, when they put their money in, they want to buy ho low and they want to sell high. That is the goal. We That is what we want to do with our money. That's the perfect strategy into investing in theory, right? Because in practice, we don't usually behave that way. That's, uh, I think, the perfect way to describe it. And in the most narrowed sense of the definition, right? You couldn't get rid of any one of those words for it to make sense, right? Buy low and sell high. But that's certainly not always the case when we look at all of us uh, investors, you know, in the world. And I think the reason for that is just we're not wired that way as humans. I don't think we're really wired for discipline investing at the end of the day. And if you look at some of the results between what the average of market performance is versus the average investor, you're looking at somewhere between two and a half to maybe three and a half percent rate of return difference at the end of the day. And I think most of that has to do with research has shown that it typically has to do more or less with the emotions of it all. And I think the emotions of us as individuals, we, we, re, we uh, react upon it. And whether it's our own internal belief system or listening to somebody on the television or, or radio who says they have it kind of figured out, 
uh, we'll call them the talking heads in terms of knowing where the market's going. But I think generally at the end of the day, you know, folks that are on TV are there to sell ad time and sound like they can predict the future. But I think sometimes it makes it where people will act upon those words of from, from those people on television or, or their own impulses. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that that's part of the issue. I would also add the roller coaster ride of emotions that people go through when the market is going up. Research has shown that we tend to feel like we are more aggressive. And when markets are going down, we feel more sheepish, right? And, and we're, we're concerned and, and we don't feel like we can take as much risk and we end up selling low. So when it's more aggressive or when we feel more aggressive and the market's going up and everybody wants to get in and start buying individual stocks themselves and think that anybody can really do it, a lot of that price appreciation has already taken place and now you're buying into it a little bit late to the party. And then conversely, the market starts going downward and you start having internal apprehensions and you're like, I, you know, I'm really not set up for this type of market movement. You feel more conservative. The market's already dropped and you end up you know, selling it. So that's kind of the behavioral research behind it. At the end of the day, markets re- reward discipline at the end of the day. And it's about sticking through it and setting it up properly from the beginning. You know, that's what's so difficult. You have, you have to do it on both ends, right? We struggle with it on both sides. It's not like the buying is even easier than the selling part of it, right? It's all emotions come in to both ends. And that's kind of why, you know, market timing is so difficult because you got to do it twice. That's right. I mean, it, it's the kind of the same gambler's fallacy about I was doing so good <laughs> at the casino and, you know, how that story ends with everybody. It, you know, well, we were doing great, but ultimately you left with uh, some comp uh, meals or, <laughs> or yeah. some free drinks. But I just think that it's important to understand if if you're somebody who can really handle the up and down swings on your own. And if if it makes sense to kind of have a third party, like, like an advisor to help you work against some of those emotions that everybody is guilty of having, right? We're, we're human at the end of the day. And, and market timing is, is, is another fallacy that's kind of been proven that it's nearly impossible to do. I mean, just think about all the trading machines out there and all the algorithms and major Wall Street companies, and it's a zero-sum game. So either you really won or, or you lost. So trying to think that we're going to be able to outsmart all the big money out there is really another, not a good thing that's it's working in our favor. So, you know, try to work on and focus on the things that you can control and, and try to uh, maintain more of a, a system that matches up to what you need from a financial planning standpoint and your overall risk tolerance. And to help you kind of stay the course and not end up doing what most people do is the opposite of buying low and selling high. Gotcha. All right. Next one on our list, common sense wise, is we don't want to pay more in taxes than we have to. I don't think anyone, you know, even if they do believe the government works very efficiently and they trust that they're spending our money the way it needs to be spent, even then we don't want to pay more than we have to. But as you know, Anthony, you see it all the time, probably with clients that come in for the first time. Many times we're paying a lot in taxes where we could actually reduce that that amount, right? Yeah, that's that's also another tough one, right? I, I think that this is, I don't think a typical one that people are, are trying to figure out on their own. They're, they're usually looking maybe for their accountant or CPA to help them out. But I think 
that there's maybe some miscommunication in terms of what the average or typical accountant's doing. And I think that they're typically looking backwards at the year and saying, are you preparing your taxes to pay the right amount? And just really telling a story of what happened last year and to make sure that you're filing the right way. Most accountants are not doing proactive uh, tax planning where you're really looking forward instead of backwards to kind of figure out on the different tax questions that you should be asking yourself. And I mean, to be fair, if, if I'm a CPA and for a typical one, I, I think you're also going to want to focus more on business owners, generally speaking, rather than individuals, just from a pure billing standpoint. And so I think the average individual who might be getting closer to retirement or maybe doesn't own a business, they're also have it even harder to find a CPA who, who would want to also do, you know, tax planning. I, I do see, you know, CPAs doing some tax planning for business owners for sure and, and looking a little bit more forward. But that's again, that's not always the case. So I think the individual really has an uphill battle. And in some ways, I, I think there's going to be a shift and it, the shift has already started to happen where you're seeing a lot more individual tax planning as opposed to preparation really being done by financial advisors, not all, but certainly some, and I think it's growing, where they're either doing the tax planning for the, for the client and working in conjunction to get it approved or overseen by the client's tax preparer, just to kind of have a little bit different of a dynamic there, or you're seeing individual advisors having some type of in-house CPA service that they're able to help guide people on that. So that that's kind of, I think, where it's going and, and where we're at, you know, certainly for the individual. In terms of why I think it makes even more sense for it to be under the financial planner's roof is because that we're typically going to be focused on not just today, but also future projections. And to go back to wanting to make sure that you're paying no more than really what you need to, there's different ways to save. There's different ways to take income that can affect your tax situation. And the softwares that most financial planners should be using are going to have some incorporation of what it means from an after-tax standpoint. I just don't there's definitely CPAs out there that are that are doing financial planning for their clients as well, but that's a that's a smaller segment. So that's why I think the financial planner is is really best positioned to look at it. The other thing I can say is recently we had somebody come in to our office um, who who's in that 55 year old range. Kids just went off to college. Uh, two of them, excuse me, are done college. So they basically got rid of about $24,000 of, uh, or freed up $24,000 of money that they can save. And one of the first questions, like, I think that we're going to, I read something about start saving into like Roth accounts, and which sounds great, you know, and you can find information out there about saving into Roths because it's going to be tax free forever, which in, in many cases, that's what we want people to consider doing. But in their situation, when we looked at it, it wasn't going to make their tax situation any better now or in the future. What that what I mean by that is that they were currently in the 20 the top of the 22% bracket. When we looked at it, if they were to switch over their 401k savings into uh, 
Roth 401k, they were going to bump up to the 24% bracket. But when we look at their longer plan retirement in about eight to 10 years, when they plan to retire, they're going to be in a 12% bracket. So when we looked at it from this standpoint, it, it didn't make any sense for them to save into the Roth 401k or IRAs um, at this point. You're not going to really know that from just going to get your taxes done from a tax preparer is, is kind of the, the moral of that story, generally speaking. Yeah, I think it's a great story. I think it kind of highlights what we're talking about here. And I think that's that's a good one to share. Hopefully it gives some people an idea. But, you know, this is something you need to be thinking about. And if you don't have a conversation with your advisor, sit down and have one about taxes and what you need to be looking for, right? It, yeah, and it's, it's a hard one because you got to probably take it a step further to make sure that the advisor that you're working with is somebody who actually does tax planning or has the software capabilities to at least create the analysis for your accountant to review it together with or has maybe somebody in-house that you know truly understands it as well. So it's I, I think it is an uphill battle for the average individual client to figure out where to go to get that type of tax service, but it, it's it's really important to add it as a component of your overall, you know, financial planning needs on a yearly basis. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, not every advisor can handle the tax planning aspect. So that's another thing just to be asking your your advisor, whoever that is, and see if they can. And if not, maybe you want to maybe look around and, and, and interview a few more advisors to see if they're a better fit, potentially. Something to think Absolutely. about. Absolutely. All right. Um, last one we want to go through is diversification. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. I know that phrase is one that we hear about from the time we're a little bitty kid, but we all know the importance of diversification. But a lot of times, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but most people don't do a great job of being truly diversified. Well, I think that that comes down to a couple different things. You, you have a little bit of the old and the new. The old being there's a lot of people who are used to having their stockbroker just you know recommend certain stocks to them. And I don't think that that typical broker is necessarily always thinking about diversification as they are to trying to you know beat the market or uh, of some sort. So... I think that's for the old school who kind of are used to the stockbroker calling them with a couple of different stock ideas throughout the year. And then you also have you know people who do buy mutual funds, uh, which are can be very diversified because they'll own a lot more stocks and, and spread out the risk. But a lot of times we fall into the camp of maybe buying similar mutual funds that are pretty much all doing the same thing, which is not necessarily solving the whole diversification of not putting you know more or less all your eggs in one basket. The purpose of diversification is to make sure that you're not going to be concentrating any one stock exposure and taking on that unnecessary risk. Diversification is going to reduce the impact of any one's company performance on your wealth at the end of the day. So what you're going to want to do essentially is have some investments that are going to be going up while other investments go down and vice versa to help smooth out the randomness of the market from a year-to-year -year basis. No one knows who's going to be leading the pack from one year to another. So the idea behind diversification is to basically own them all and kind of let the market winners rear their heads and market losers rear their heads all in the same year in randomness. But basically, it will smooth itself out over time. So a lot of people, what we'll see that come in, feel like they're diversified, but they might have it all exposed in just U.S. large cap stocks. 
such as technology stocks or blue chip stocks or dividend producing stocks when there's so many different other areas, not just in the US, large cap, but there's you know mid cap, small cap, micro cap, there's emerging markets, other type of international markets that people need to have exposures to. And that would be the way to reduce the exposure or unnecessary risk that you need to take in those, some of those more or less concentrated holdings that people uh, end up doing from time to time. So these are just three of the things I think are common sense that we just drop the ball on a lot of times, and it's most of the time because we're human, our behavior is that way, and we do that in a lot of different areas. We don't follow just the general common sense uh, approach to life in many, in many instances probably, but this is how it applies to financial planning. So if these things maybe are on your list of, hey, I need, I need to get better in these areas, be a good time to sit down with a, a certified financial planner like Anthony that can work through these with you. So if you want to contact him, you can do so, cardinalwg.com. That's cardinalwg.com. It's also where you want to go to send in any questions you have for the show. We get mailbag questions from time to time, covering a wide variety of topics. Today, we've got a couple that kind of tie into what we talked about today. First one comes from Kate. She says, I have a catch-22. I have some Apple stock that I really want to sell because I made a lot of money over the years, but I'm worried about the tax bill it might create when I sell. So what's more important, capturing gains or keeping taxes low? Well, both are certainly important, but I think you need to have a gain in order to have a tax issue. So right. I'd rather have the gain, uh, which is creating a tax issue, than no gain and no taxes owed. So um, some of the things that you can think about doing, though, to maybe mitigate or lower that would be to maybe look at your current, uh, the rest of your portfolio and see if you were kind of planning to sell something that um, is having some type of loss right now and that could offset some of the gains so you could while you're planning to sell something like i think it was apple um for a gain maybe there's something else that you're not as happy with in your portfolio that would make sense to sell to help offset some of that gain another thing that you could consider doing is uh, maybe unloading it over time meaning not selling it all at once and maybe moving it selling it some in say this year and then sell some in another year that may or may not make any difference but you might want to look at it in terms of if you sell all that stock now does that affect something else in your plan like say your social security tax so if you sell it all and you have this big gain is that going to push up your social security tax for example and so that might be a reason why you don't want to unload it all at once one other thing that you can do is uh, or consider is that if you are planning to maybe maintain some of that Apple stock, uh, you could go on to your custodian's website and you can say, if, if you maybe bought it over time, you can sell specific shares and that can help affect uh, maybe some of them that might be shorter term gains that are taxed differently from the longer term gains. So that might be something else that can also help you from a, uh, a tax planning perspective. There you go, Kate. Thank you for that question. Hopefully that helps. You'll definitely want to sit down and get uh, go through your situation a little bit deeper into more detail. And and uh, hopefully this, though, will kind of set you on the right path, give you some options to think about. All right, Alec is next. He says, our IRAs seem like they haven't made much money for the last two years. Is our broker just not paying attention to our accounts or what? Well, that's probably want to start with maybe asking them, um, <laughs> kind of see what's going on. But I think some of the things that you could do to arm yourself first before having the conversation would be maybe by getting a sense of the benchmark 
that you should be judging your accounts with. So for example, if your account is basically invested in 50% stock, 50% bonds, to get a good comparison, you would want to look at a, a benchmark out there that's called a blended benchmark, which basically shows how 50% uh, stocks and 50% bonds would typically be, be performing over that two-year period. You're not going to want to compare it to the S&P 500 on television or the Dow Jones if if your portfolio is diversified, invested in 50% stocks and bonds, because that's not the appropriate benchmark to have. So you might be seeing, well, the market S&P 500 has been up 20% over the last two years. My account's only up 10%, but you should be comparing it to an account like a 50-50 benchmark, which would probably be closer to up you know, 10% because it's only taking on 50% of that same risk. Does that, I think most people occasionally don't always see that side of it. They just see the ticker tape on CNBC and say the market's up 20%, why am I up 10%? Not to say that that's the case for Alec in this point, but the other thing I would say is that if you haven't talked to your advisor in two years, you know, just saying that you haven't spoke to them in two years, that, that sounds like a little bit of an issue to me as well, that you might want to make sure that you're having more ongoing conversations every six months to a year, just to make sure that you're staying in touch. Because something that you set up two years ago, you might not have fully remembered what the expectations of that account are. And maybe it is performing just as it's supposed to it. And maybe it is underperforming. And by the way, two years is not uh, a long enough period to you're going to have periods of underperformance and overperformance in a two-year period. It's just a small sample of a long-term type of strategy. So I think going back to speak with, to the broker, also to understand what is this strategy? Is it supposed to be more conservative, more aggressive, somewhere in the middle? Um, is it more passive? Is it more actively managed? Those types of things, just to kind of get a refresher on what it is. But I would probably start off with at least a benchmark study uh, which sometimes can be found on your statements, and sometimes you might have to, you know, do a little bit of digging. Um, if you're not able to find it, your you know, broker should also be able to assist you with that as well. Great stuff. Thanks for that question. We appreciate that one, Alec and Kate. If you have any questions for Anthony or the show, you can send them in via the website cardinalwg.com. As I mentioned, got a nice refresh. Looks great. There's plenty of resources on the website. You can get your free assessment right now, your retirement assessment right there by clicking the big button on the front of the page as well. So plenty to get from the website, including all of our podcasts as well. Anthony, thanks for the time today. I, you know, I know we all fall short of these common sense approaches, but it's important to realize that and to try to make adjustments with our plan moving forward. No problem, Ben. Thanks for having me. Information is for illustrative purposes only and does not constitute tax, investment, or legal advice. Always consult with a qualified investment, legal, or tax professional before taking any action.